Tech's Legal Toolkit with Jared Correa. With guest Seth Tuman, we celebrate another Korea family Christmas. And then, Uncle Jared spends his whole holiday visit explaining every reason why he knows more about baseball than the professionals. But first, your host, Jared Correa. It's the Legal Toolkit Podcast, which is sort of a problem because I'm supposed to be at the Walmart right now. Those old ladies aren't going to greet themselves. And yes, it's still called the Legal Toolkit Podcast. And I do know what needle nose pliers are, but I don't appreciate the accusation. I'm your host, Jared Korea. You're stuck with me because Tom Kennedy was unavailable. However, he can name that tune in three notes. I'm the CEO of Red Cave Law Firm, consulting a business management consulting service for attorneys, bar associations. Find us online at redcavelegal.com. I'm the COO of Gideon Software. It's an intake platform for law firms. Learn more at gideonlegal.com. Now, it's the holiday season, as Dean Martin might say. I think it's Dean Martin. And it's my favorite time of year. Not just because of Christmas, which I love. Christmas is my favorite holiday but also because of the array of other holidays unfurled in December. People are stressed, yeah, but I think overall folks are mostly happy and grateful, at least I am. Plus, meeting, presentation, email volume goes way down, and uh, really you can't beat that with a bat. One of the things I like best about the holidays is holiday television programs and movies. In an exciting holiday twist... One of my neighbors recently put up some Christmas decorations featuring Randy Quaid and Chevy Chase from National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. They fucking hand cut and painted this shit themselves, which is crazy. So when my daughter asked me about it, I had to explain the shitter was full scene from that movie. Because yes, that's the scene that this family decided to depict on their front lawn. But everybody's seen Christmas Vacation, as they should. So... I want to help you expand your horizons before the end of this year. And to that end, I'd like to deliver Jared Correa's Obscure Holiday Viewing Guide. So here's a list of holiday films and television shows that you may not know about, but which I very much enjoy and which I hope you will too. But before I start, I want to take a moment to address an ongoing controversy. Is Die Hard a Christmas movie? I don't know, and I don't really care. Now on to the list. Number one. Not in any order of quality, necessarily. Emmett Otter's Jug Band Christmas. All right, this is a Jim Henson Christmas special that came out the year I was born. I've always loved this special, and I actually still have a copy of it on DVD. I think I have two or three. Now, this may be because this was heavily syndicated when I was a kid, and pretty much every scene in the movie is burned into my brain. Plus... I try to throw it on every now and then during the holidays because my wife is deathly afraid of puppets. However, the story's great. It's based on the gift of the Magi and it involves a music competition and has a phenomenal soundtrack. Yes, that's right. Jug band soundtrack right up my alley. Uh, It's got Dead Parent. The dad this time has a twist on the Disney formula. Excellent villains. The River Bottom Gang. Playing venues as the uh, rock band the River Bottom Nightmare Band. And it's actually got really impressive set pieces for a late 1970s puppet bass production. 
I always felt like watching Emmett Otter was like being inside of a snow globe, which is actually oddly comforting to me. Will the Frogtown Hollow Jubilee Jug Band win the talent contest so Emmett can buy my piano? You'll have to watch to find out. Oh, and Kermit the Frog's the narrator. Jiminy Cricket style. Next on my list, number two, Halloween is Grinch Night. You didn't think I was just going to stick to Christmas movies, did you? I'm not using the term holidays to be some politically correct asshole. Now, while most people know the Grinch from his Christmas-stealing turn in the ironically titled How the Grinch Stole Christmas, he actually doesn't steal it, it appears that the Grinch also likes to fuck with Halloween. This was released in 1977, too, so you're probably seeing a theme here. And it's largely forgotten now because back in the day, like Halloween wasn't like a really big holiday like it is now. And I guess this was kind of progressive. And somehow this abomination won the 1978 Primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding Children's Program. Uh, Yes, this is bad. But you should still watch it because it's so staggeringly awful. This is a great movie to hate watch. Maybe that's why there's no How the Grinch Stole Thanksgiving and then returned it. Best I can tell, this is just a complete cash grab from her old buddy, Teddy Geisel. And every time I watch this thing, I'm like, what the hell were these guys thinking? Basically, the Grinch is going to Whoville again for some unknown reason. Literally, I I don't know why he's doing it. To do some unknown thing. Yeah, it's apparently menacing, but I don't know what it's going to be. And for some other unknown reason, he can only go there when a certain type of wind blows, which is like non-canonical with the Grinch who stole Christmas. I mean, come on, guys. He tries to scare a kid. He fails. Then his dog, Max, which is probably the best thing about him, abandons him, and he just fucking leaves. That's the entire plot of the movie. The original Grinch Christmas movie is kind of dope for its character development. This one is, well, um, not. All right, number three. The Toy Story That Time Forgot. There are a bunch of Toy Story shorts based on the movies, and all of them are available on Disney+. And they're all awesome. Seriously, they're just as good as the movies, which are pretty great in their own right. Toy Story is a great series, I think, in part because they seamlessly add characters all the time to this already large ensemble cast. And it all works, and it's all seamless, and they never miss a beat. The same is true with these shorts. Now, probably my favorite one of these is not a holiday special, it's called Small Fry. And in that one, there's a smaller version of Buzz Lightyear from a fast food value meal that tries to replace the real Buzz Lightyear. The shit is objectively hilarious. That is great. But all the shorts are good. And like I said, there's this Christmas short called The Toy Story That Time Forgot that's focused on a post-Christmas play date. So basically, the toys you know from the movies enter a battle arena populated by anthropomorphic dinosaurs. They're led by this religious zealot who knows he's a toy, but won't tell the others they're all toys too. Classic Disney, man. Those subversive fucks. Anyway, the kids are too occupied to play with the toys because guess what? Oh, they're playing with video games instead. So can Trixie the dinosaur turn off the gaming system in time to get the kids to engage the dinosaur toys and save Woody and Buzz? This sounds like a Wednesday night at my house, honestly. All right, number four. Coming in hot, we got eight crazy nights. Some, I guess, like nominally Roman Catholic, although I've not been to church and have no intention of going to church ever again. I have a bunch of Jewish relatives by marriage in New York, and uh, I've attended a bunch of nights of Hanukkah, like more than eight in total. I think Hanukkah is a really cool holiday, but there aren't a lot of Hanukkah movies. Adam Sandler made one, though. 
Uh, now, yes, I know that Adam Sandler movies are very hit or miss, mostly miss, uh, but sometimes he pulls out a gem. That Bat Mitzvah movie he just made for Amazon, I mean for Netflix, rather, it's pretty good, actually. Now, this one is an animated movie, which is maybe an unexpected twist. And I was actually shocked to learn when I was researching this monologue that this movie came out over 20 years ago. So it was released in 2002 not the 70s. And I know Adam Sandler gets a lot of hate, but like he goes out and makes movies in locations he likes, like Hawaii and Africa with his friends. So maybe he's doing something right. This movie's got Adam Sandler, of course, but it also features as another main character, voiced by Adam Sandler, an impossibly short, hobbled volunteer basketball referee named Whitey, which is very on brand for New Hampshire, trust me. It also includes John Lovitz, by the way, and real ones know that John Lovitz played Hanukkah Harry on Saturday Night Live. This movie actually has a horrible Rotten Tomatoes rating, just downright terrible. It's 13%. And the summary calls it a nauseating concoction, which is pretty fucking rough. But this movie, I think, is actually good. And it deals with some serious themes. The main character is an alcoholic who lost his parents when he was a kid. And then, obviously, there's a Hanukkah miracle at the end. I think people don't like this movie just because it's profane, but that's exactly why I like it. All right, number five. Next on my list, Rudolph's Shiny New Year. Let's go back to 1976, everyone. There was no internet. It was a beautiful time. You know Dasher and Dancer and Prancer and Vixen? Oh, and Rudolph. The more popular Rudolph special was Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, the traditional Rankin-Bass version of the Rudolph story, which, by the way, Rudolph originated as a Macy's ad, just in case you're interested. Rankin-Bass was a 1960s animation powerhouse, so you know, you know that one. I know you've seen that one. But the less popular Rudolph story, also from Rankin-Bass, is Rudolph's Shiny New Year, where Rudolph saves the baby New Year who's hiding out because he has big ears that everyone makes fun of. Wait, Rudolph has a shiny nose that everyone makes fun of, too. Uh, in the film, Rudolph travels across the archipelago's... The archipelago? A single archipelago, I believe. The archipelago of last years, multiple years, where each prior year is its own island. Each island is lorded over by the old New Year's babies after they grow up. That's where they retire to and live forever, I guess, because some of these guys are pretty fucking old. So Rudolph teams up with a caveman who's a million years old, say, and someone who looks a lot like Ben Franklin, but I guess isn't Ben Franklin. Um, yeah, and they try to save the baby New Year from an evil vulture, naturally, named Eon the Terrible, who's set to die at the end of the year after having lived for a literal eon. So he figures kidnapping the baby New Year will stop the year from ending and him from dying. Yeah, if this sounds totally out of pocket, that's because it is. Oh, look, I got to give props to the Rangan Bass people because they took the Rudolph character and built an entirely new sequel around him that actually kind of works. My kids fucking hate this movie, so I make them watch it every year. It's Christmas tradition. Next and last, number six on my list, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Speaking of movies, I force my kids to watch because they're only exposed to idiot content creators on YouTube. Now comes the John Hughes Thanksgiving classic, Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, which actually I watched it this year after a few years without watching it. It holds up pretty well. I mean, the theme of this movie is just sublime. It's all about how Thanksgiving travel sucks, which it very much does. 
How's that for catharsis? I really hate Thanksgiving logistics, and I try to convince my wife to just bang out and go to the Bahamas every Thanksgiving. I've been unsuccessful thus far. So while I really clearly hate Thanksgiving travel, I do love this movie about it. First of all, it's got Steve Martin and John Candy in a movie together, so you can't go wrong there. And it's got like a million iconic scenes. I'm telling you, the scene in the hotel room with the pillows, I basically quoted that every single time I've entered a hotel room with another person in my lifetime. And I suspect that trend will continue until I die. Where's your other hand between two pillows? Those aren't pillows. Ah, shit. That gets me every fucking time. Speaking of fucking, there's this classic rental car scene where Steve Martin says the word fucking no less than 18 times. That's actually the only reason the movie's rated R, with the last curse word being given to the rental car agent for a punchline. Then there's the ending where we find out Dell's wife is dead. The scene where the rental car catches on fire and Steve Martin is laughing maniacally. Uh, the part where Steve Martin gets lifted up by his nuts and John Candy says in review, I've never seen a guy get picked up by his testicles before and the you're going the wrong way on the highway scene. But guess what? You're going the right way for a holiday movie marathon. Let's find out more about what our sponsors can do for your busy law practice before we talk with Seth Tuman, who's really one man, about outsourced CEOs, COOs, CFOs, and more. Then, stay tuned for the rump roast where it's on like Donkey Kong. Korea family stories are back, bitches. Partner with Rankings.io, the marketing agency for law firms that want results, not excuses. With flat rates for Google ads, a track record ranking attorneys for the most competitive terms on Google, and a team always easy to reach by phone, even during off hours, Rankings.io is the agency of choice for firms that want the rankings, traffic, and cases other law firm marketing agencies just can't deliver. Visit Rankings.io for a free consultation and start seeing your firm grow. Simplify. With Cosmolex, the only fully integrated practice management solution. Everything you need, accessible anywhere. Trust and general accounting is built in, so you don't need QuickBooks. Cosmolex's Money Finder reminds you to bill for work you put into client matters so you don't leak money. That's messy. Lower cost, better business, and less frustration. Yes, please. It's all built in with Cosmolex. Free trial and... Take 20% off your first year at Cosmolex.com. Okay, welcome back, everybody. Let's get to the meat in the middle of this legal podcasting sandwich. Today's meat, haggis. Now, at the risk of upsetting groundskeeper Willie, haggis sounds disgusting. And I'm not even sure that you can put it into a sandwich. But hey, I'm not a chef. So maybe we just bring out the guest. Yeah, let's do that. We have, right now, for your listening pleasure, a first-time caller into the Legal Toolkit podcast. It's Seth Tuman, the Chief Administrative Officer and Partner at the To-Go Advisory Group. Seth, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jared. Uh, happy to be here. How you doing? Hanging in there. I want you to know, we are not bringing you back for our Rump Rose segment, which means you've <laughs> dodged a bullet. So congratulations to you, sir. Thanks. It's nice to hear because, uh, especially since I'm a vegetarian. Excellent. All right. <laughs> so you've got this company that you work with at four. 
called To Go Advisory Group. Yeah. So that is that is not a fast food restaurant, is my understanding. Yes, that's correct. I'm not picking <laughs> something off the value meal. Mm-hmm. This is like fractional C-suite executives for businesses, including law firms. Would you kind of talk about what that is? Because I'm not sure everybody's aware. Yeah, I think the the best way to sort of describe it is some real life scenarios. Yes, um, let's do the, that. In the CFO space, last year we had a client where a uh, billion dollar company CFO walked out the door with five of his accounting staff. Uh, and obviously it was going to take them some time in order to fill that role. Yeah, so, or six roles in that case. Or six roles, yeah. So, you know, they came to us and said, hey, can you fill this position? And uh, we ran the searches in, within our partnership to look for people who could not only fill the interim CFO role, but also the, the uh, accounting roles as well. And we okay. do that for, for, you know, all kinds of different companies, you know, not only food and beverage, law firms, which is my area of specialty, yes. uh, cannabis, wine, agriculture, for-profit, non-profit, mergers and acquisitions, it runs the gamut. Why isn't cannabis your specialty? That seems like a missed opportunity to me. Because <laughs> one of my partners was already filling the space oh, before man. I before I got here. <laughs> Plus, uh, you know, as you're probably well aware, for a long time, law firms have stayed far away from cannabis. Yeah, it's a tough racket. Like, the yeah. money stuff is weird. But now yeah. a lot of them are doing cannabis. Um, doing cannabis law. Sorry. Let me correct that. <laughs> and probably the other thing, too. Um, all right. So interim solutions we're talking uh-huh. about, mm-hmm. mostly. So you mentioned CFO, right? And there are different C-suite roles. So you got CFO, you got CEO, you got COO, probably a bunch that I don't even know about. So what's the breadth of the roles that you would fill, like, in a law firm? Are law firms actually out there hiring CFOs? Like, is that a thing? Yeah, of course. Um, especially depending on, you know, the size and oftentimes the law firms that are working with have what they call an executive director, as you're probably aware. Right. Um, sometimes that sometimes an, usually a non-attorney, right? Correct. Sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Most of the time it's a yeah. non-attorney, right? Currently working with an executive director, training her up um, in order to understand what it takes to run a law firm. You know, accounting, finance, banking, hiring partner compensation, the forecasting, budgeting, all that kind of good stuff. And that's more of a holistic role, right? That would include a bunch of different things where in a big company, you'd have maybe five or six C-suite people working in those yeah, categories. Yeah, I mean, if if I'm being approached by a larger company, then most of the time in those scenarios, the larger company thinks they only have one issue that they need to solve. But once you get up in, in there and roll up your sleeves, you recognize the fact that there are, there are multiple issues that you need to deal with. Now, do you get into law firms that are looking at multiple C-suite individuals? Like, are there law firms that hire, like the law firms have CEOs, COOs, CTOs, like that type of thing? There are law firms that have those, and those are most of the time your larger firms. Right. Whereas I work mostly with the small to mid-sized law firms, and so most of the time you've only got... The managing partners and then one, you know, executive director or COO slash CFO. Okay. So when you talk about a small to mid-sized law firm, like what are we talking about in terms of size in your world? I would say anywhere from 15 to 25 billers. Um, once you kind of hit that 
25 biller mark, you're kind of hitting an inflection point. When you count billers, are we talking attorneys and paralegals or just attorneys? I include paralegals in that count. So that, to me, would seem to be like a relatively small firm with 15 billers, attorneys, and paralegals uh-huh. that would even be considering a C-suite role. Is that always the kind of executive director role, or do they get diversified at that level? Depending on their growth goals, they may start looking to bring in the fractional C-level individual like myself because they're looking to either train somebody up or they're actually you know, thinking about once they hit a certain revenue levels to hire somebody full-time. Right. So I think it's interesting, the training people up aspect. That would seem to be a really easy use case for you. Like when you get called into law firms, what does that training period look like? Do they always hire people with like very little experience? Do you come across people in law firms who are in these roles that have a lot of experience? What does that look like? Um, I think it's a it's a combination of both. Um, I've stepped into roles where the individual who's sitting in the executive director position has come up through, let's say, a county. And so they've really never run a business, let alone a law firm before. They mm-hmm. understand one aspect really well and not necessarily other aspects. I've also stepped into the situation where firms have never had an executive director. Yeah. They've, they've only had partners who have been running the firm. And that comes with pluses and minuses as well. Mostly minuses. Sorry. <laughs> well, well, let me ask you that, because that's one of the questions I had for you, too. Like, I work with law firms, too. And I find that, like, putting lawyers into business management roles is often a bad thing for a whole host of reasons. Like, lawyers are not great at management. They don't have formal training. They don't have experience. And then they also have a lot of baggage, and they want to get paid more than everybody else. Yeah. So when I talk to law firms, I'm like, hey, if you get a business management role, like a traditional C-suite type of role, bring on a non-lawyer. Like, do you agree with that? Do you think that's always the case? Or have you run across lawyers who you think are good at those roles? I think it's subjective in nature, depending on... Now you sound like an attorney. Go ahead. (laughs) Uh, Depending on your your management committee and the people who are, you know, running varying departments and, and that kind of stuff, I think generally attorneys are better at practicing law than they are at running their business. That's the general consensus. Although I have found some attorneys who really enjoy managing their business and they strive to put in a certain percentage of their time to running, running the business. And I shouldn't just shit all over attorneys here. They're our listenership. (laughs) And I, I, I'm this, like, I have seen attorneys who are functionally like CEOs who do a great job of it. Yeah. But it's like few and far between. I mean, depending on how big the company is, like it's it's a very difficult position, especially when, you know, depending on the area of law that you're practicing, you're still trying to do business development, you're still in the courtroom, taking depositions, defending, et cetera, et cetera. It becomes very difficult. Yeah. I feel like attorneys who don't succeed in that role, part of it is they're not willing to give up the lawyer role, because why mm-hmm. would you? Then you're back yeah. to the money question. Yeah. Have you run across attorneys who have like given up the day-to-day law practice to actually like run the business in the C-suite capacity? Have you trained folks like that up or? No. Okay. No. That's interesting. So maybe there's not a ton of appetite for that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So you talked about training people up, potentially working with attorneys. Now, the other option is to work with a fractional CEO. Now, what are the options like there? 
is this always an outside full-time person? Is there such a thing as a part-time C-suite operator that could work with a business? Like how much flexibility is available there? In general, there's a, as far as our partnership is concerned, there's yeah. a ton of flexibility. And it's really dictated by the needs of the client and a lot of times the budget that they have. Right. Okay. So like if I'm a firm and size-wise, needs-wise, like when do I need to bump up from a fractional person to a full-time person? Well, I yeah. guess there's two ways. Let me ask you that in two ways. The first is if I've got somebody working with me on more or less a part-time basis, when do I need to bump that person up to full-time? Let's start there. As the managing partner of a law firm, if yeah. you got somebody who is helping you run the firm on a part-time basis, I would say the decision to bring them on full-time is based on my comfort level with regards to meeting my expectations and my business development goals. If I can run a firm and I want to remain status quo with somebody at 50% time, there's really no reason for me to bring that person on full-time. Tied to growth a little bit, it sounds like. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Very much so. Absolutely. I think you'll find that once you hit certain levels, whether that's revenue or number of employees, then you're almost forced to bring somebody in full-time. Let me ask you the follow-up to that, which is when I'm talking about full-time, I, I suppose you could have a fractional CEO that works full-time, right? Or a CFO or whatever. You could. Uh -huh. when, when do you make the choice to actually hire someone as an employee, whether or not that person gets outside guidance? I would say once your revenue and your budget allows you to do that. Okay. I can understand why you work with lawyers very <laughs> lawyerly here when the budget and revenue allows. Okay. So in your experience, you helping firms set up those metrics, KPIs, do you run those to help figure out like when you hire, how you grow, that type of thing? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. And these days you're finding that, you know, law firms are varying quite a bit when it comes to their hourly rates. Yes. They are getting very creative with their ability to bill. It's not just a billable hour anymore. You know, you have some firms who are operating on contingency. Um, a lot of times your rates are sort of dictated by the type of law that you practice. So there's a lot of, a lot of different calculations that you have to put into this. Now, when you run into lawyers like and you're engaged with the firm for the first time, like how are they in terms of reporting? Are the bigger ones doing it well? Are the small ones doing it well? Would I be surprised? How much do you have to teach them in terms of like, hey, we build reports, we run numbers, we look at them? Most of the time you're dealing with people who are pretty intelligent. They know what they need to see. Sometimes they don't see it often enough. And other times they're looking and they're reading the numbers, but they're not understanding the story behind the numbers which is a very telling story. And if you understand that, so, I mean, it's it, with any financials, a, a good CPA firm is also going to tell you, like, you can run your financials all day long, but unless you understand what's driving them, then you're really not understanding your business. Seth, I got one more question for you. So if I'm a firm and I'm maybe feeling some pain points, what are those for hiring a fractional CEO? What should I be experiencing that I need to change before I go out and look for somebody like you or like your company? Either you're experiencing some sort of operational challenge or difficulty that you can't seem to get past. Maybe it's your finance and accounting that seems very convoluted 
and disjointed. Mm-hmm. It's either that or you've got certain growth goals or certain key metrics that you're trying to meet and you can't seem to get there. Those are two of the biggest scenarios that I find where people are like, okay, I need some outside help. And I think it's great, by the way, that law firms are now looking to have people staff these roles who are non-lawyers so actually have experience in it, like yourself. Seth, this has been great. I really appreciate it. Lots of interesting information, evolving fields. So thank you for coming on. Absolutely. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And as I said, you can be done now. You dodged the bullet. But (laughs) for everybody else, we're going to take one final sponsor break so you can hear more about our sponsor companies and their latest offerings. Then stay tuned for the rump roast. That's right. It's even more supple than the roast beast. Contract automation isn't a trend. It's a strategic imperative. Though big players in the e-sign world will make you believe implementing it will cost you big bucks and more than a few headaches, it doesn't have to be that way. DocuB is an easy-to-onboard, full suite of products that includes e-signature, brilliant workflow capabilities, and AI contract automation at nearly half the price of those out-of-touch behemoths. The one thing DocuB doesn't automate? Their customer service. Visit get.docub.com slash contracts to set up a call with a real live person. DocuB will be with you every step of the way. Hey, Guy, what's up? Just having some lunch, Conrad. Hey, Guy, do you see that billboard out there? Oh, you mean that guy out there in the gray suit? Yeah, the gray suit guy. Order up. There's uh, all those beautiful, rich, leather-bound books in the background. That is exactly the one. That's J.D. McGuffin at Law. He'll fight for you! I bet you he has got so many years of experience. Like decades and decades. And I bet, Guy, I bet he even went to a law school. Are you a lawyer? Do you suffer from dull marketing and a lack of positioning in a crowded legal marketplace? Sit down with Guy and Conrad for Lunch Hour Legal Marketing on the Legal Talk Network, available wherever podcasts are found. All right, everybody, welcome to the rear end of the legal toolkit. That's right, it's the rump roast. It's a grab bag of short form topics, all of my choosing. Why do I get to pick? Because I'm the host, and I have to get through this one quickly because I have my family on, and they're liable to jump in at any moment. So, for this edition of the Rump Roast, we may be starting a new holiday tradition, and I hope you've been good this year because coming at you right now is Korea Family Stories Holiday Edition. That means we have both my mom and my brother on. Mother, how are you? Let's start with you. Well, thank you, and yourself. You having some Siggy's yogurt over there? Uh, I just finished my Siggy's yogurt with blueberries and granola. Was delicious. Yeah. Siggy's hit us up for a sponsorship. We need the money. Oh, there you go. Pat, how are you? I'm fine. How are you? Good. Good. Sober. You've got a lot of light behind you. It's a good day. Surrounded by dogs. But we're talking Christmas today. It's the Christmas season. So I wanted to talk about some crazy Christmas stories that happen in our house. Now, I'm sure people who've listened to this segment before are like, yeah, Christmas with the Koreas. That's got to be something. Let me tell you, it is. (laughs) (laughs) And let me tell you also, just to give you an idea of what the holiday season is like for us. This is the third time we're trying to record this podcast. (laughs) 
<laughs> and we may be no more successful this time <laughs> than we were the first time. two. <laughs> Evan has dropped off the recording. This could go in any direction, completely <laughs> off the rails. This is the show that might get me canceled. I don't know. So let's talk a little bit about Christmas stories. Pat, you've got a Christmas story that you were telling me about where you were assaulted by a Christmas tree or assaulted into a Christmas tree, which I, I didn't remember it, honestly. So so what was happening? The And it can be really concise. Well, what was one, not no, happening, like... I think, is the real way to introduce that story. All right. <laughs> so what was not happening was uh, there were no adults in the room, and there were three children fighting See, over a television this is why I don't Oh, my remember. God. The objection is already started. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's why you don't remember. Why I don't remember? It wasn't me. Wait, is it? The um, children alone. This is what happened. Was it, was it me, you, and Kate, our sister? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, so we, yeah, it was it was you, Katie, and myself, and we okay. uh, we were getting into one of those disputes that you do when one person has the remote and there's one TV in the house. So like you have to figure out how to decide what to watch by like blood combat. Yes, and exactly. Process, what other way would there be to decide? <laughs> and so in the in the process of that, in the Donnybrook that ensued, you I want to say it was you. No, launched me across me. the room and no, I slid on the hardwood and knocked into the base of the tree. And when that <laughs> happened, it shook and it's it's a Christmas tree from like building 19. So needles just come flowing down like a waterfall. One of them gets stuck in my bottom eyelid and I start freaking out and panicking because needles in my eye. Yes, it's a pine <laughs> and, uh, needle. Toughen up, bro. And <laughs> mom and dad come into the room. And they have to like, I don't remember how that little bit went. <laughs> went probably because of all the trauma and repression you that were... I've been working on real hard for like thirty years. Plus, but you they... were blinded by a pine needle. <laughs> yeah, like so Sam, they, uh... like Samson, you, your strength was <laughs> yes. literally sapped by the pine tree. Much <laughs> so we uh, so they they brought me over to the dining room table held me down there and then our dad reached down with a pair of tweezers and pulled the pine needle out of my <laughs> oh eye my as like I hear him. my I head hear him. and like my arms and legs are being held back <laughs> I was being drawn and quartered <laughs> like it was from this the is screen. like a civil war war scene man <laughs> it is it this is, is like it's Matthew the, Brady stuff and a thought that just occurred to me I hadn't really considered this there was an older woman that lived like the houses next door, you could touch that house and there's no way that right. she didn't hear all right. of that happen. Just the horror of living there. <laughs> yeah, there was, a, there was a lot going on. There's a lot to unpack there. Building 19, for those who don't know, is like the discount oh, was that? shop. Lo uh, like that was a local thing. I was talking I, to somebody about Jordan Marsh today and it's like, that's like a department store that was only in Boston. And then why were the needles so ready to fall off. Were we buying like old dry trees? <laughs> no. No, oh, we were buying like real tried. fresh evergreens. Okay. Last year, my tree was a stick by the time it was ready to go outside. So yeah, that's a tragic story. Like my sister callously throws you into a tree <laughs> and then a pine needle falls, <laughs> oh, on, falls in your yourself. eye. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So the next thing I was thinking of around the holiday season is the board games. Come here. We play a lot of board games. My mom's yeah, dog, play. Tucker, is now here. Our littlest brother, yeah. Tucker the dog. Come here. Come over here. 
So family board games were a thing, a big thing in my house when I was growing up. And would you say the favorite Christmas game was Scattergories? Definitely. So can you tell the people how that works with your fancy new headphones? How does Scattergories work? Because I don't how know if everybody knows works? Yeah, I don't think everybody knows necessarily. Scattergory is a game where you throw a die and the yeah. die has a letters die, on it. Everyone. Yes, just yeah. one die. Yeah. That's why I said die instead of die. I know. I'm just yes. trying to educate uh, the yes, audience. Sorry. There you go. So we threw one die, and then you're given a list of things that have to begin with the letter that is uppermost on the die, and you only have right. so much time to do it. It's like and 14 the categories different are, categories, right? Right. Right. So like fruit, animals, ways to get from here to there. Right. Dogs with human eyes. Yeah, dogs with human eyes. Tea, Tucker. And so we used to be very creative in our responses. Well, you kind of had to be because it was a rowdy crowd. It was was a little bit of a rowdy crowd. As one might imagine, two of my favorite responses were, well, I'll tell my favorite and then I think you have one from dad. So Uncle Richard, who is my uncle, my mom's brother, who's not on the podcast today, who I would love to get on Korea Family Stories one of these days. Oh, my God. He'd be great. Mm-hmm. The letter was K, but what was the subject? Lubricant? Lubricants. So, so the, the letter was K, and the subject was lubricant. And keep in mind that this is all ages. Like, I think the youngest person was probably like eight, and we've got elderly women here. And Uncle Richard decides to throw in uh, KY jelly, which then had to be explained to the many people at the table who were like, what is that? <laughs> And when he was asked why he used that word, you, Ma, you were like, what is that? I want to know what that is. That's not a real word. Because I didn't know what it was. And and me and Pat are sitting there like, please, for the love of God, take me now. I'm ready to be raptured. My uncle and mother are discussing KY Jelly at Christmas dinner. And And so he says to you, Joanne, it's for medicinal purposes. <laughs> oh, okay. That was the end of it. <laughs> really? Yes. I am sure that was there must response. have been more Which to it than like, that because I would have said, well, well there is. Really? But, of course. Yeah. He's, he's not wrong. Yes. He's just he's not wrong. a lot of detail though. <laughs> yeah. 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 He did the 30,000 foot overview of KY Jelly, <laughs> which is maybe for the best. Uh, it's a warming lotion is there a problem here um and then uh you've got other ones right do you want to do dad's famous answer which i thought was great that one was the letter was a and it was ways to get from here to there yeah and your father put Aquatically. (laughs) (laughs) Doing doing a lot of work there with that. I don't even know if that's an adverb or a gerund or what. I I don't think it's a gerund. (laughs) Patrick, it's an gerund. It's an adverb. Yeah, and it's an L-Y. There you go. If if you're an English major, unlike me. If you're an English major, unlike me, who actually paid attention, like tell me if that's a gerund or an adverb right into the show. Um yeah, so Scattergories is a great game if you've never played it. Definitely. And uh, yeah, we played the hell out of Scattergories. Scattergories, another sponsor for us. <laughs> Hit me up. Hit me up. I'll talk wow. about how one can move aquatically from one place to the next. That was a so, great one. <laughs> I got one more thing I was thinking of we haven't talked about before for the Christmas season, 
which is the historical joke gifts within the family. I think we do a really nice job with joke gifts. Pat, you and I had like basically World War III of joke gifts. Do you remember when I bought you just a humongous summer sausage that was about 30 inches long one year for Christmas? Yes. Do you still have that? Yes, I do. Yeah. No, I'm I'm aware of these things because it's not just it's it's hard to forget because when <laughs> but we're also transitioning from like, like <laughs> when you receive a gift that's something like a, a seven foot long sausage <laughs> like it was basically like a, a me sized thing of pepperoni and it was like well what do I do with this and you were like well it's your gift figure it out like, and Uncle Richard's like here's some thing. KY jelly <laughs> okay go ahead. <laughs> I had to figure out things to do with these. So it wasn't like, it wasn't a one day event for me. It was like three months of how to get rid of the things you got me. What did you do with the sausage? What did I do with this? I'm, did I'm you eat it? almost did positive. You consume it? That, no, that was distributed amongst many friends because it was basically a giant You're like stick Oprah of pepperoni. Winfrey of right. the sausage. Yeah. It wasn't it, bad. Yeah. It wasn't. It's like it's like you gave someone. Don't blame the sausage. It's, it's like you gave someone for a Christmas gift prosciutto, but you gave them the whole like shoulder yeah. of prosciutto, and you were like, "Here, Merry Christmas." Here you go. You can't Happy eat New all Year. of it yourself, so I had to sort of yes. cut it up and divvy it out to a bunch of different people because it was right. just ridiculous. I wasn't gonna throw it away. What did you tell them? Yeah. Did my you brother oh, gave did you thank me? me? I mean, Ma's on the call, so I will be nicer about oh it. Oh, my God, uh, man. My brother like, this is going out over friendly. the airwaves for the entire nation. It's, it's different when you're looking me in the face. So I will say that I told them that my brother has a knack for giving me weird Christmas gifts. All right. That's good. That's there good. You go. oh, now, he's a lovely fellow. Oh, that's good. Okay, so like, do you remember other gifts that he gave to me? Because I'm like heavily invested in the gifts I'm giving to Pat. Like, a lot of thought goes behind locating, pursing, wrapping, and delivering a seven foot sausage. But like, yeah, a, a lot maybe of, too much. Of, <laughs> it's a remarkable <laughs> amount of thought that goes into into that. Uh, I remember the finger condoms. That was a delightful oh, yeah. one. Yeah, talk about that one. That was, yeah, uh, uh, a, I don't know, like 100 pack of finger condoms. And like while Graham and Kay is sitting think, right next to me, you said something like, I just want you to be safe. I don't think they're, um, I don't think they're actually called that. But like, they yes, they I were... I found these tiny finger like rubber things and yeah, so I was like, this yeah, is fit. I feel like to turn the page or to count money or something like that. <laughs> yeah. That's that, what yes, they're for? That's yeah, what they are. That's I think what they so. Are. They are not actually finger condoms, those no. <laughs> uh-uh. Holy God. I forgot about that one. Oh my god. Who got the sand one year or a brick? Oh, someone bought was, sand? I did sand or I, a brick. There was something really was it Eric? I, I got Eric something. I honestly can't remember what I got him. It was either money or maybe it was something that he wanted. I wasn't sure, but whatever it was, I put it in in a giant box of sand. <laughs> like, a, like, like a box. I went down. I showed up at our house like two days before Christmas. Uh, I had Eric's gift set up. 
And like, it was just, it was just one thing in this giant box. And then like two days before Christmas, I drove to the beach and just started shoveling <laughs> sand in and filled the box. So he had to through all of the sand. No, that was one of my favorite Christmas And it gifts. was heavy, so heavy, <laughs> uh, you couldn't even awesome. believe it. You must have gotten like a banana box or something because that box held up. You wrapped the box. It was like an old tube TV. Like it was that yeah. size of a box. Yeah. Like it was considerable. Oh my God, that's a good one. Right, okay, I think we're done. Hey, thanks for coming on. <laughs> <laughs> I know you guys aren't selling anything, so it's Pat, it's my mom. It's Career Family Stories Holiday Edition. Come on back next year. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year. Oh, we're singing now too. Great. If you want to find out more about Seth Tuman and the Tugo Advisory Group, check out tugoadvisorygroup.com. That's the number two, two, go, G-O, advisorygroup.com. Check them out. Now, for those of you listening in New Bedford, Massachusetts, my hometown, I put together a very Portuguese playlist to beat the band. Apog guy. Merry Christmas, you filthy animals. So, we've run out of time to talk about why the Red Sox ownership blows. Just fucking sell the team already. But I've only got so much time on this show, and I don't want to ruin the holidays. This is Jared Korea reminding you that Santa's always watching, probably because he's an old pervert. If you're a lawyer running a solo or small firm and you're looking for other lawyers to talk through issues you're currently facing in your practice, join the Unbillable Hours Community Roundtable, a free virtual event on the third Thursday of every month. Lawyers from all over the country come together and meet with me, lawyer and law firm management consultant Christopher T. Anderson, to discuss best practices on topics such as marketing, client acquisition, hiring and firing, and time management. The conversation is free to join, but requires a simple reservation. The link to RSVP can be found on the unbillable hour page at LegalTalkNetwork.com. We'll see you there.